All right. How you guys all doing this morning? All right. Um, okay, so before I get going on the message, I, I want to, something that I was just thinking about. When you move to a new city, especially if you're going to move your whole family to a new city or even a new country like Jonathan and Janet are, you're faced with, with challenges and different things that you probably couldn't possibly even be aware of before the time. You do your best to plan for things, but things happen. And I was reminded of a good friend of mine, uh, John Wood, actually, he was a worship pastor at Jubilee Fellowship, who years ago moved out to Las Vegas. He actually moved out to Las Vegas to start his own church, okay, which is wonderful. It's a great calling. But he moved out there, and of course, you know, you start running into those things that you don't anticipate. Just different, different hurdles, different things that go on. And one of the things that he found out pretty quickly is a dynamic that really only happens there in Las Vegas. People go to the casinos, okay, that's what Las Vegas is known for. People go to the casinos, and yes, even Christians go to casinos. They'd go to casinos and they would win, they'd get chips, and then they would go to church the next day. And so these churches, all random churches around the city, were finding that they would get chips, (laughs) tokens, in their offering box. And the problem is, is that there are so many casinos, and each casino, if you know, has its own proprietary chip, right? So you can't, you can't just gather them all up and go. So it was a real problem. These churches were having hundreds of dollars, sometimes even more, that show up in their collection plate. And like, what do you do with that? You know, do you, do you dedicate somebody to go do this? It was, it was an, one of those unforeseen problems, right? But thankfully, like like most big cities, and I don't know if you know this, but even, even Colorado, Denver, we have monasteries here, right? And the monasteries typically will pick a, a project, something that they're kind of known for. And in Las Vegas, there was a monastery there who kind of made it their mission to bless these churches by what they would do is that they would go to the churches and they would collect all these random tokens, these random chips, and then they would go cash them in. Great, so they, they made that kind of their mission. And then they would go back and, of course, give the money back to the church. So it really made it very simple. And it was such a blessing to these churches that they started supporting them. And then they grew and they grew and they became very well-known, as a matter of fact, especially regionally in that area. They're very well-known. You may have heard of them, this order of monks. They're called the chip monks. Happy Father's Day. You're welcome. There's a dad joke from me to you. You're welcome. Feel free. No copyright. Feel free to use that one anytime you want. (laughs) All right. So we should get on with something serious now, right? Or should we just tell dad jokes all morning? Hey, we've we've been in Matthew... Okay, chapters 5 through 7, we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, for those of you who haven't caught where we were up until this point, the Sermon on the Mount is considered by Christians and non-Christians alike as the single greatest collection of, of wisdom. Probably the single, the single greatest sermon, for sure. But any sort of, of discourse or, or discussion about wisdom how to live with each other, how to live with a creator, 
how we should feel inside. And the Sermon on the Mount is, is widely considered to be the, the greatest collection of those things. And it's actually Jesus' own words. So in those chapters, Matthew specifically 5 through 7, Jesus is telling us how to interpret the Bible correctly, how to interpret our relationship with Father God, and then how to live with each other. And so it's a great collection of those of little bits of wisdom and then, and then some interpretation on top of that. So we've talked about, you know, in the Beatitudes, it opens up in chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, and it, and it talks about who we are, who we are as sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. We are blessed. And he goes on and talks about all the different ways that we're blessed. And then he transitions again into our relationship with the law. Now, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He says that, but he came to help us understand it. So he's not saying, hey, just ignore that. He's saying, yes, the law is written and the law is for you. However, here's how I want you to interpret it. And so that's that chapter. The next one, he talks, us, talks to us about how to relate with Father God. And that's kind of what we're going into now. So we're starting chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. Our verse for, for today is going to be 1 through 4, and it actually starts out a series of three weeks about ways to interact not only uh, with God, but specifically where our heart should be during those interactions. So today, we're going to talk about giving, okay? Next week, we talk about prayer, and then the following week, we talk about fasting. And those three weeks, all of the three weeks start out by saying when you not if you and here's how you should if you should choose to they say when you give when you pray when you fast they're considered spiritual disciplines that aren't aren't to be negotiable if you are a son of our father or a daughter of our father in heaven, these are to be spiritual disciplines that are a part of our daily life, not just whenever you get around to it. So Jesus doesn't mince any words. He doesn't say, hey, you know, if you get, if you get some time or whenever you get around to it, here's how you should do these things. He comes right out and says, when you give, when you fast, when you pray. And so that's what we're looking at. That's kind of the context that Jesus is talking about when he's trying to illustrate that being spiritually disciplined in these ways and having our heart be in the right place when we're doing these things allows God to use us. Not only to bless us as individuals, but he, it allows him to use us in ways that we could never imagine. And so as we go through this message, I'm going to show you how that scripture backs up that if our heart's right, God is going to do amazing things, both for us and through us. And I think that'll prove out. You'll see it here. So this week, Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Um, the title is, is Give to the Poor, because that's how the Bible titles it, or at least my version. I was going to subtitle it Secret Service. <laughs> Made sense to me, but that reaction right there, that's why I didn't title it Secret <laughs> Service. Moving on, Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. Again, this is the New American Standard. That's the one that I use. And I mentioned this last night, um, and I'll mention it again. The New American Standard is the one that I study from for, for a number of reasons. 
But it was a great revelation to me way back when I first gave my heart to the Lord. I had a couple King James Bibles on my shelf. And I tried to read them from time to time. And man, it was hard. So unless you're, unless you're old English or, or you really, that just speaks to you, that kind of language, it's really hard to sometimes even follow what they're trying to say, much less really get a flow and, and, and have it speak to you. So I want to encourage you to, if, if you're, now if you're reading the King James and it's speaking to you and you love it, keep doing that. But don't let yourself get stuck with a translation of the Bible that's just not giving life to you. There are so many great translations out there. Now, don't get it. I'm not suggesting uh, that you get a paraphrase like, say, the message or the amplified and then use that to study from. Okay? If we're going to study, we need to go back to the best translation, pure translation that we can. But find a version that really speaks to you. Go to the bookstore and just read through several and, and find out what speaks to you. So that's my PSA for you today. But I use, again, New American Standard, Matthew 6, 1 to 4. This is Jesus' own words, okay? Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. I could stop right there and say, okay, done. Dismissed. If you just take that away, because that's how he starts this entire section. But he does go on. Verse 2. So, when you give to the poor, there's that when again, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, again, there's that when, it's not accidental. When you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. All right, so there's, there's our basic scripture. We're going to take this apart verse by verse, kind of talk about some of the meanings there, and then I'm going to show you some application of what that is. So our very first section there, the very first verse, Matthew 6, 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. As I was studying this out, the Lord impressed me with something that, that I, I wrote it down on a note and kind of went away from it, and it kept coming back to me, and I want to share it with you. It's about giving to impress people. It's about giving for show, doing things to prove our righteousness. And what the Lord impressed me on was this. If you're giving or acts of service, or whatever it is that you're doing, if you're doing it to impress people, you're actually not giving. You're buying. Or better yet, you're trying to buy. You're trying to buy approval. You're trying to buy friends. You're trying to buy righteousness. So you're no longer giving out of a pure heart, but you're actually trying to buy. And it doesn't work that way. Because what happens when you buy something? You go to the store, you give your money, you buy something. You get something in return. You get, in essence, a reward or exchange, right? But that's the end of the transaction. There's no further blessing or there's nothing that happens beyond that. If you tell a neighbor or a friend or, or somebody that you met, hey, I'm going to come over to your house and I'm going to mow the lawn for you. But next week, you're going to come over to my house and you're going to help me move some rock. Okay, 
We won't debate on who got the better end of that deal there. But we will say that when you're done, that's the end of that transaction. There's no further blessing. You gave something, you got something. That's the end of it. But when you do things for the Father, when your heart is pure and you give not to get, you give not so that other people will see, you give with no other motive other than that my Father God has asked me to give. It could be money, it could be time, it could be anything. When you do it with that motive, God can use it. I consider those things that you do in secret to be kind of a heaven savings bond. It will mature until you're there. And then when you're there in heaven and you're standing before our Father, that's when you'll reap the reward from those things that are done in, in secret. So do you want the approval of man, which is fleeting? Even that, that perception of righteousness that some of us work so hard to cultivate, right? No matter how long you stay on this earth, if the Lord leaves you here until you're 100 years old, it's still just the blink of an eye in comparison to eternity. And when we're in heaven standing before the Father, it's those things that we do simply for Him because He asked us to. That will really resound in heaven. So do you want your reward here or do you want it in heaven? Hey, I want to, on that note, we're going to have time for some testimonies later. We did it last night. I want you to think about, as we're here and as I'm going through this stuff, think about ways in which you have given selflessly or in secret. And it doesn't have to be in secret, like nobody saw me do this. But your motive was right when you did it. And how God has either blessed you or others through that. I'm going to ask for a couple testimonies if anybody has them. So as we're going through this, if the Lord impresses something, we'll have time at the end. So let's jump to the next verse here, Matthew 6, 2. So, when you give to the poor, there's that when again. When you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. So again, there's, there's that when. When you give to the poor. Here's a, a theory. As I was studying this out, part about the trumpets, there is some debate as to whether this actually happened or not. Okay, and I don't think whether it did or not is necessarily important, but the part where it talks about the trumpets, Pharisees and the rich people, what they would do is typically they had a village or, or a town or a group of people or, or somebody that they were the benefactor of, and they would routinely go to those places and they would give alms to the poor. But when they did, when they entered town, so a lot of them were rich, they would live in Jerusalem, and from time to time they would travel back to wherever their hometown was, so to speak, their home village area, region. And as they entered this place, they would have a herald before them with a trumpet, ram's horn, something, heralding their arrival. Here they come. Everybody line up to receive your blessing. That's what they would do. So when the, the saying says to blow your own horn, okay, that's kind of where this came from. Again, whether it actually happened all the time or randomly um, is debatable, but the point is they would make a show, 
They would make sure that people knew they were there. Okay, now is time. So the poor and those people who needed would come out of their homes and they would gather in the streets, basically making a little parade for them so that they can walk down the street and have people clustered around them and say, okay, here I am. You are my people. I shall bless you. And you hand out the blessings. Now, do you think the people cared that he was being self-serving? Do you think the people cared what his motives were? No. They cared that they were getting food, or they were getting protection, or they were getting some actual money, whatever it is that he was handing out that day. They didn't care what his motive was. But our Father cared. And our Father does care what our motive is. In fact, when he goes on further in that, in that phrase there, and he talks about the hypocrites, the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that word hypocrite actually comes from stage actor. Okay, so if you, if you were an actor in the stage, you were cons- the, the word there was hypocrite. And it wasn't necessarily a bad thing there, but what it meant was somebody who's paid or who pretends to be someone else. You're pretending to be something other than you are. So he's saying, don't pretend to be righteous. Be righteous. Don't walk in and pretend to be the most religious, pure-hearted person in the world when that's not who you are. You're doing this for accolades. You're doing this for the approval of men. You're doing this to try and buy righteousness. And that's what Jesus is saying. Don't be like them. Then the last two verses, Matthew 6, 3, and 4, when you give to the poor, man, keep saying when, when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. He's not literally talking, okay, you have to just try and separate yourself and be bipolar somehow. That's not what he's saying. It's a figure of speech. But he's saying, don't don't plan this out. Don't make sure you have an audience. Don't make sure other people know what you're doing. Just let it flow from your heart. Spontaneity like that is what he's talking about. If the Lord impresses you to give, again, of your time, of your service, of your prayer, whatever it is, then just give it. Don't wait for the right moment or for somebody to be around. Just do it. That's what he's saying here. See, I think giving done in secret is the most pure act of worship that you can possibly do for our Father. Not that when they're up here and we have our worship team up here and they're singing and we have crowds of people out here that are are cheering them on in some cases, right? Even applauding after a song. I don't know about you, but my heart is not, hey, I'm cheering the individual musicians that are up here. I'm cheering the outpouring of their heart. I'm cheering the display of the gifts that God has given them to be able to lead us to the throne room of God. So it's not about them being on display. Anytime any of them are up here, I say, just, it's not about drawing attention to you, see how good I am. But it's about lifting up the Father. And there's nothing to be ashamed of by using the gifts that God has given you, whether those gifts are, are incredible financial resources or time. Maybe you've got all the time in the world. That's a resource that a lot of people don't have. Maybe it's musical talent. That's a gift that not everybody has. We're not to be ashamed of our gifts, but we're to use them with the right motive 
That's what he's talking about here. I think that's a pure act of worship when your motive is in the right place. So what does giving actually include? Again, I've mentioned it a couple times. Alms, you know, the word alms that we talk about literally just means mercy and compassion. It doesn't necessarily mean cash, although it can. Maybe cash and money is your most available resource. I don't have time to come and help with anything. I don't feel comfortable praying, but I do have financial resources that I want to bless people with. Maybe you don't have that, but what you do have is time. Maybe you don't have either of those things, but you can pray. You can be a good friend. You can be a part of this body and lift each other up in encouragement. There are so many different ways that we're called to give, and it's not just money. It's commonly used in terms of our mind immediately goes to, oh, they, they want money. But it's not that. And God certainly doesn't need your money. What God wants is your heart, and he wants your heart to be in the right place. So even Jesus says, though, that there will always be the poor among us. So faced with, and, and if you drive downtown or just about anywhere around here now, you come to an off-ramp and there's somebody standing there with a sign. There's poor everywhere. Those of you who went down to the Denver Rescue Mission with us to serve down there, there, there is an endless supply of the poor and the needy down there. So how do you know? When you're faced with all this, how do you actually know, yes, I should give of my time, of my resources here, or no, I shouldn't? How do we decide? I think Scripture itself actually helps us. A couple of them specifically. This one is in Acts chapter 3, 1 to 6. It's a little bit long, but bear with me because it's a great illustration, I think. Now, Peter and John... Okay, these are two, two disciples. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. Okay, let me stop there and just paint a picture. Okay, this man was, and I'll show you a picture here in a second. This man was lame from birth. Every single day, his friends would carry him to the temple, plop him down on the stairs. Okay, that's where we are. And all the people going back and forth into the temple would pass by him every day. Peter and John were two of those people. Walk by him all the time, every time they were there. Now, verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. Okay, just like just like you would expect a beggar to do. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. Now, I don't know if he was saying, look at us. Do we look like we have any money to give you? And I don't know if that's why they said, look at us, or if he was simply saying, look at me. I'm about to tell you something. And here's what he does. And he, began, he, meaning the beggar, began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from him. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Now here's a little picture of what that kind of looks like. 
<coughs> gates of the temple. Everything's marble. Everything's clean. It's all nice and perfect. The people going in and out. And then on the stairs, you've got these beggars who had positioned themselves outside. Okay, I imagine they did that because anybody going to the temple certainly wanted to be seen by their peers as being righteous, being, being religious, right, and pure in spirit. And so it'd be hard to walk by that person and not acknowledge them or not give them something. It's very strategic on the beggar's part. And I think that's why this man had his friends put him there every single day. But we can infer from this that Peter and John walked by this man routinely. It was something they did all the time. There's never another documented time in the Word where it says they gave him anything. In other words, they walked by him all the time. Why was this time different? What was so different about this time that they actually stopped and addressed the man? I don't think it was because he looked especially pitiful that day. Maybe it was, I don't know. It probably wasn't because John and Peter had just gotten paid and they were flush with cash. I'm pretty certain that's not what had happened. I don't think it was for a public show of look what I can do. Because they didn't call attention. They didn't, hey, everybody gather around. See how I'm, I'm going to handle this. I don't think it was for any of those reasons. Well, let me ask you this. The Bible is not always chronological. So in other words, when we're reading, reading Acts chapter 3, and then I ask you to go back and check out chapter 2, it's not always that 2 happened to be 4 3, but in this case, it is. So does anybody know what big thing happened in Acts chapter 2? A lot of things, but it was Pentecost. Pentecost happened in them. The Holy Spirit had come upon the disciples earlier in chapter 2. Okay, now they weren't walking through their life going, okay, chapter 3, let's go to the temple. That's not how it worked. <laughs> but Pentecost had just happened. Okay, it's well documented in here. They're in the, in the upper room and tongues of fire, the, the Bible says, are coming down and landing on them. Tongues of fire dancing all around the room. They are able to to speak in foreign tongues. All kinds of powers come upon them. Peter actually had just finished preaching a sermon where it says 3,000 people came to know Jesus. So not only are tongues of fire dancing around, he's speaking in words that he, that he can't speak. He's just converted 3,000 people. He, man, he had to be feeling his oats at that point, right? Check me out. Look at this new stuff I can do. And then he heals this man. He says, get up and walk. Man, lame from birth, get up and walk. Peter probably had as good a reason as anybody to say, look at this. Uh-huh, that's me. Look what I did. Look at him. But what does Peter do? What does Peter do? In the very next, the very next verse... Very next verse, Peter says this. This is what he does. Now, while he was clinging to Peter and John, this is Acts 3, 11 to 13, okay? It's not the very next verse, but it, it's shortly after. While he, the he is the beggar. While he was clinging to Peter and John, okay? So 
He's happy. He's up. He's dancing around. He's so excited that he's calling attention to himself. And he's literally clinging on to Peter and John because they had just healed him. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. So a crowd's gathering around. This guy is heaping praise and he's dancing and he's clinging to their legs. Verse 12, but when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us? As if by own, our own power or piety we had made him walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus, the one who you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. So in the midst of all this, when faced with public accolade, or at least the opportunity to take that, what does he do? He points to Jesus. He points to the Father, and he says, it's not me. It's them. Why does this even surprise you? Don't you know their power? So given this choice. So going back, I want to ask you the question, why was this day different? Why did they not just walk past him like they did every other day? Because after Pentecost, they received the Holy Spirit. Now they had the Holy Spirit to point things out to them, to testify them, to touch their heart and to speak to them and say, I need you here. See, before they were followers of Jesus, they walked around. They were good men for the most part. They followed Jesus around. They listened to his teaching, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit to help them discern. Now's when I want you to engage. Now's when I want you to heal that man. I believe the Holy Spirit said, I want you to heal that man. He's asking for money. You have something better. Give it to him. We have that very same Holy Spirit in us. That very same Holy Spirit that led them to discern this is the time to heal this man from birth and to glorify Jesus through it. We have that same opportunity to seek him in every single thing that we do. Every opportunity that we have when the Lord is asking us to give of ourselves or to sacrifice in any way, sacrifice financially, sacrifice time, sacrifice of our heart, friendship, prayer. Those things aren't always easy, especially in this day and age when we're so divided in our time and our attention. Anything that wants to intrude on that, really, at different levels, but it's a sacrifice to say, I'm not doing this for me, but I'm going to stop and I'm going to engage with you, and I'm going to find out what you need. So when we meet that person standing on the street corner, we don't just drive by them. Maybe it's just a simple, quick prayer. Lord, do I engage here? Do you want me to pray for them? Do you want me to give to them? Let the Lord be your guide in that. Because through that, then, He will be the one that's glorified. And you don't have to you don't have to be a spiritual giant in order to do these things. Let me give you a story of how this works. Years ago, I want to say it's been about nine years ago now, there was a woman who went here. I was, I was fairly fresh into ministry. And there was a woman here going to this church who had recently given her life to Christ. 
and she was full of excitement, but didn't know what to do with it. What do I do? How do I, how do I hear from the Lord? So I understand now I have the Holy Spirit in me, but how do I hear from the Lord? How do I know that I'm hearing from the Lord? And so as I'm new into ministry myself, she's a brand new believer. I'm like, I'm not going to talk theology with you. I'm going to give you some really practical ways that you can learn to discern the Lord's voice. So I said, first of all, here's what I want you to do. Try it. Just try. Spend a day asking the Lord, should I, okay, the alarm goes off, should I get out of bed or should I lay in bed for a while? (laughs) Ask the Lord, okay? And then do what he says. Do what you perceive that you hear. It's not always a booming voice from heaven. It's not always the clouds part and a dove lands on your shoulder and that's how you know. It's not always that. Sometimes it's just a feeling. So do that, and then the very next step, okay, now I'm up out of bed, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Because most of us, me included, say, I've got my to-do list. I know what I'm doing today. I'm getting a shower as quick as I can, I'm getting a cup of coffee, and I'm heading to church because I have, okay, our to-do list takes over for the Holy Spirit in most cases. And maybe the Holy Spirit would say to you, hey, you're going to be late to church, so get, okay, no, that's, that's your pastor telling you that. That's not the Holy Spirit. But maybe the Holy Spirit would back me up on that and say, hey, but in this case, I told her, pray about those things and then simply try it. Try what you hear and journal it. At the end of the day, journal. I thought that I heard to do this and I did it. Here's how that worked out for me. I thought that I heard to do that, but I didn't do it because I was busy. And here's how that worked out for me. By doing those things, the small things, the baby steps, but giving it up to him and letting him guide us, we'll then slowly, at the end of the month or the year, you can look back at your journal and you go, wow, more often than not, when I think I hear from him and I try it, I am blessed. Maybe it's something as simple as you hear, I normally take county line to church, but I heard today to take the highway for some reason. You get here and you find out that there's an accident down at the middle of the, of the highway that, or, or at the road where maybe you would have gotten caught up in that. Maybe it's something like park in one place and not this place. And you come out and you find out, as I found out last night, that somebody had happened to them. A giant tree branch had fallen in that place. Okay, something simple. See, God wants to save your life, but more than that, he wants to bless you every day. And sometimes it's just the little thing. So back to the story here. I had told her to try this. So she wakes up, again, new believer, not very experienced in this. She wakes up and she says, Lord, what do you want me to do today? And what she feels like she heard pretty clearly in this case is, I want you to feed somebody. There's somebody that's hungry. I want you to feed them. So she goes, okay, now I have more questions than answers. Who do I feed? Where do I, what do I feed them? What do you want from me? But he simply said, just, just start moving. So she gets ready. She gets in the car. She's feeling kind of stupid at this point. Like, what? I don't know what's, I don't have any more direction other than feed somebody. So she goes, okay, well, I guess I'll go to the grocery store and I'll get some groceries. 
Seems like a logical step, right? So she goes to the grocery store, buys a couple bags of groceries, puts them in her car and says, okay, Lord, now what? Now what? She feels like she hears, go down to Broadway. And, and just, just go to Broadway. No more. She's like, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm really feeling stupid now, but okay, I'm going to try it. I'm going to go down to Broadway. She goes down to Broadway. Starts driving down Broadway, starts down here by County Line and starts heading towards Denver. And as she's going, she's like, okay, Lord, who? What she's looking for is the person standing on the street corner with a sign saying, I'm it, I'm the hungry one. <laughs> well, she doesn't see that. So what happens? Immediately, she starts to doubt. Starts to doubt, like, maybe I didn't hear this right. Maybe, I don't know, this is dumb. I'm thankful nobody's seeing me do this because I kind of feel dumb right now. So she drives down Broadway, gets almost all the way downtown, and she hasn't seen anybody yet. So now she's like, okay, I've wasted a whole morning now. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to head back home. And as she turns around and heads back home, she gets an image of a specific hotel. And she's like, okay, well, I don't know where that is. And maybe you could say maybe it's because she drove by it on the way there and, and that was recalling maybe but maybe the lord just pinpointed that to her she's driving back down the street going okay i don't see it i don't know nothing okay i i know i saw this image but and then she reaches south broadway there's some old hotels down there if you know that area down there she sees one and she goes that's it that's the image that the lord gave me but there's nobody out front of it either in fact it looks kind of abandoned so she pulls into the parking lot, and she's looking around, and she's like, there's literally nobody here. I'm, now I'm really kind of feeling like I'm wasting my time. I don't know. Continues to doubt. Drives back out onto Broadway. No sooner than she drives back out onto Broadway that she hears, no, no, that was the place. Go back. <laughs> like, ugh. Okay. Fine. She turns around, and she goes back. Now she's sitting in the parking lot of one of those let's say, inexpensive hotels down there on South Broadway. Not the nicest place. Single woman sitting in a car by herself with bags of groceries, waiting for somebody to run up to her and go, thank you, Jesus, here I am. None of that happened. What she did get is, I want you to go knock on that door. There's nobody there. How many of us, when we're by ourselves, would go up to a door in one of those hotels and just randomly knock on the door. I don't know that I would. I'd go, well, maybe tomorrow. We'll try this again. She's obedient. She's obedient to what the Lord had asked her to do. She went that far and she said, I'm going I'm to give this a try. So she goes up to the door, knocks on the door. There's no answer. She goes, oh, now I'm really an idiot. I totally got this wrong. Starts heading back to her car. And then the Lord just says, no, that's it. She turns around, goes back, knocks on the door again. One knock and the door opens. There's an older woman in there. She's, forget how old she said she was, 70. She, an older woman who's there by herself. Unprompted, the very first thing that this woman says is, are you from the church? Which really takes her aback, right? Like, um, 
I kind of am, but I think you're mistaking me for somebody else because clearly you're expecting somebody and that's not what this is. And the woman goes, no, I went to the church, and I won't name the church, but just not far down the street from where she was last week, and I told him I was hungry. I didn't have any food. And I needed some food, and I needed some help. And they said, we'll send somebody over to you. But they never did. Now, it's not a knock on that church. It fell through the cracks somehow. Things happen like that. But the Lord said, no, this is my child. And she came to me in faith and expectancy that I would bless her and I will provide for her. Now, plan A didn't work out because the ball got dropped. But I'm going to use this faithful servant to come and do my will and to bless this woman. So she says, no, I just simply, uh, the Lord told me to come down here. So she ends up dropping the groceries off. Now, I don't know the rest of that story, but I do know this. That was nine years ago. That story blesses me just about every day when I think about it. I hope it's blessing you now just to think about what the faithfulness of somebody who's totally unsure, only marginally willing, okay, but what God can do when our heart and our motives are in the right place. She wasn't looking for an audience. She wasn't looking for a show. In fact, she just told me this story like, it worked. <laughs> How amazing that was that it worked. And then, of course, she has a hunger to do it again and again. Lord, show me where you need me. Show me what I can do. But that woman was blessed. Our woman was blessed. I was blessed. You're blessed. Who knows how many people on the other side that woman told of how the Lord provided for her. This is what it looks like when our heart's in the right place and we just simply listen to him. We don't have to know the whole picture. Sometimes we don't even know why. Maybe it was just leave the groceries on the step and walk away. Could have ended up like that and she would never have known. But if we trust our Father that his purposes are higher than ours and all he asks from us is our obedience, then we have the assurance that people and ourselves are going to be blessed through this. So I want to take a second. I had some other scriptures that I was going to read through this, but I think I want to leave it at that. And I want to ask if anybody has a testimony of a time when your faithfulness in stepping out was able to either bless you or bless somebody else. Anyone? All right, while you think of it for a second, I'll give you another chance. But I want to tell you, Sam, are you back here? Do you mind if I tell your story? Uh, I'm going to do a horrible job of telling your story. <laughs> but I'll do the best I can. Our brother Sam back here has been a part of our church for a long, long time. But a couple years ago, the Lord called him away to Las Vegas. So he's been there kind of searching for what the Lord's got for him. But when he heard that we were doing this this weekend, sending off his good friend Jonathan, and he's a worshiper, he's a, he loves to play, and so he said, I want to go back and be a part of that. But he didn't have the money to do it. He drives this monster diesel truck that's out there that takes quite a bit of fuel to do. Cool truck, it takes a lot of fuel. And he's like, I just, I can't afford to go do that. And I don't know the details of how this happened, but the church that he's engaged with there got the word out, 
And the Lord touched somebody's heart there and said, I want you to give money so that he can do that. So this man, I don't know if, if Sam knew him or not, I got the impression he didn't, gave money specifically so that Sam could then make this trip. Not knowing what was going to come of it or not probably knowing much about any details, just that the Lord had asked him to do that. Sam goes ahead and he comes here. Now he comes here and he is staying with a good friend of his who is here in town. Good friend who actually is kind of struggling a little bit with his, with his faith, wondering how do I hear from God? You know, do I hear from God? What's, you know, what's this all about? And there's no better guy to be with him than somebody like Sam who is so open with his faith. But Sam comes here, and not only is he able to be up on stage then and, and bless us with his worship, but his friend comes with him. His friend comes with him last night. And so his friend and Sam, they're, they're sitting back there listening to the message. And when I got to the part where I was talking about how to hear from the Lord, like just try. Don't, don't feel like you have to know it all. Just take baby steps and just try little things. That spoke directly to his friend's heart. And so when they got home last night after service, they were talking. And again, I don't have the whole story, but Sam told me that, that he couldn't deny, his friend could not deny that the Lord wanted him here last night. Because there's nothing else that would have brought him here to hear that word other than his friend coming in. So all the way back in Las Vegas, the guy that gave some money to get Sam here was to bless Sam by bringing him here, yes, but also to bring someone else here to hear a word about God's heart for him. See, the Lord uses things in ways that we will never know. Will that man back in Las Vegas ever know the ramifications of what happened through Sam being able to come here? Maybe he will, maybe he won't, but that's not important. What's important is that people all the way down the chain were faithful in what God had asked them to do. And through that, God can and will do amazing things. Amen is right. In other words, if we pay attention to the worship team, you guys can go ahead and start heading up. Is there anybody who just who feels led for a testimony? We don't have to do it, but I don't want anybody. Bear, you got one? Gabe, you got the mic? I don't want to cut anybody off and have them go, oh, I should have shared that. Uh, <clears throat> a few years ago, I was working with a man who is uh, a good friend of mine. I've worked with him for over 20 years. And he fell on hard times. And uh, he is a Christian, loves the Lord, um, and he was beginning to lose faith in his situation because he prayed over and over again for the Lord to uh, provide a need. It just so happened that uh, I'd had a, a small windfall, but um, uh, some things had just kind of come to me financially, which is not common in my life. Um, and uh, just out of... Um, some strange sense that God wanted me to write a check. I wrote the check, and uh, and I gave it to him, and I said, I don't know if this will help, but I want to help you out. And it was an amount of money I'm not accustomed to giving, uh, and I gave it to him, and he wept, and uh, he said, this is exactly what I need to save my house. Um, on the flip side of that, I want to say that this has happened to me. Uh, in the 1980s, I had 35 cents to my name. I had two kids, and I was about to uh, lose my house. And a faithful woman from my church showed up to our door 
as I was about to go buy a Coke for 35 cents, split it four ways and die is the way I put it. Um, she rang the bell. Her name was Harriet. And she said, we were in Sunday school this morning and we saw you weren't there. And so we were praying for you. And we just felt led to take up an offering. And I, I'm not kidding when I say that it was the exact amount of what we needed for our rent. Um, or we would have been kicked out. So God, God provides. That's so good. <laughs> Guys, that's what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up because we've got burgers cooking out there, burgers and dogs. And I hope you'll all hang out and join us for that and then some, some awesome cake that we have out there. But as we wrap this up, I just want to remind you that it's, it's not about how much we do. It's not about even what we do. It's about being faithful to what God wants us to do. And sometimes that takes a little sacrifice. Sometimes it takes us a little out of our comfort zone. But when we look at the sacrifice that Jesus Christ gave for us, and his only motive was to reconcile us to the Father, he gave of himself for that. And so that should be our example as we move forward. And that should be what we celebrate right now as we move into communion. So I want to invite you to take communion. If you're newer here, just explain it really quickly. At the crosses, we've got juice and bread and crackers. You can serve yourself over there if you would like. And up here, we've got wine and bread and crackers. And we would love to serve you up here if you would rather be served. But as soon as you take communion, when you feel led, I'll pray over here in just a second then feel free. You can stay in here and worship a little bit. You can go out and get a burger. I didn't say this last night, but I want to if you want to go out and get a hamburger and come back in and hang out in here and listen to some great worship, you can totally do that. But just join us for that fellowship. All right, so will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you use us. As Pastor Gabe said, in your grace and mercy, you use us to accomplish your will. You don't need us to do things. You give us the opportunity to partner with you. And through that, you bless us and you bless countless others. And so, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that we can partner with you whenever you need us. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us more loudly than ever before. When those opportunities come up for us, that we might be tempted to just say, I'm too busy. I have an appointment. I don't have time. I don't have money. Whatever it is, Lord, let us first seek your heart. And how do you want us to respond to one of your children? Lord, let us never be too busy or too distracted to do your will. Father, we love you and we thank you for everything that you bless us with and how you use us to bless others. And we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.